0: Good morning Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. You doing all right? Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm really excited to be with all of you today as we dig into God's Word. Uh, But before I do, I want to remind you that those postcards that you see on or near the chair you're sitting in uh, are for you. Gather as many as you want and invite as many people as you can to church with you next Sunday, Easter Sunday. If you got a friend, family member, neighbor, co-worker uh, who you think might come to church, if they'd be invited by a friend uh, like you, feel free to use that card as a way to say, would you come to church with me on Easter? That's what those cards are there for. And whether you're with me here in the room or you're with us online, I'm just glad that we're together. Amen. And uh, for those of you who are online, feel free to say hey to your host, Uh, Let them know that you're here. We'd love to get to know you if you're ready for that to happen. That would be awesome. All right, let's jump right in. I want to call our attention to a beautiful carving by an artist named Rembrandt. Maybe you've heard of him. It's called the Three Crosses. And if you were to look at this engraving, your attention would be drawn first to the center cross where Jesus died. Then, as you would look at the crowd gathered around the foot of the cross, you'd be impressed by the various facial expressions and actions of the people who are either involved in or witness to the awful crime of crucifying the Son of God. Finally, your eyes would drift to the edge of the painting, begin to look over there, and you would catch sight of some other figures almost hidden in the shadows. And among them, experts say, is a representation of Rembrandt himself. He liked to do this in some of his paintings. He put himself in the scene. And in some sense, he understood what we are going to be talking about today, that he was there, that the cross meant something to all of us. He recognized that by his sins, he helped nail Jesus to the cross. Now, what do you and I have in common with this great 17th century artist? Though successful at his craft, he led a troubled life. Maybe you have troubles in your life too. We all do. He was twice a widower. He was marred by financial troubles. He was attendant at the funerals of all four of his children. Rembrandt seemed to understand this. Life is defined by where we stand with respect to the cross of Christ. In our world today, as has been true in our world at all times, men and women, both young and old, look for and long to discover the meaning of it all, to land on that central Point. Maybe this is you today. You're a seeker of truth. You're just trying to find out what is life all about. That central idea, that overarching idea that allows all other ideas to make sense. The thing which, which simply defines all of life. And I'm here to say this morning, search no longer. For the creator of the universe and of you and of me has come to earth. And he has planted the cross like a stake in the ground, like a signpost pointing the way. He has made it the axis upon which everything else turns. Today, as we did last Sunday, we're looking hard at the cross as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Resurrection Sunday next week. Today we're going to look at that cross and understand once again that Jesus went to that cross as part of his calling us to follow him. Last week, if you didn't catch that message, it was about theologically, biblically speaking. What does a cross mean in terms of God reaching out to us? And now we begin to also see that that cross defines how we then respond to him. So let's dive right in. Our central idea this morning that we'll spend our time unpacking is this. Jesus bore the cross to form a new people who live for him and who follow his example. All of this and much more is wrapped up in the cross. So let's, let's begin. Jesus bore the cross to form a new people. Someone say new people new people, to create a people who are his own, who belong to him. We read this in Titus chapter two, where Paul says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. That's good news right there, right? We talked about some of that last week, to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. This is who we are. This is who we are as followers of Jesus, a people made uh, possible by the cross, a people who are his very own. So valuable, so precious are we to him that he longs to draw us to himself, to create a new community defined by the cross, gathered gladly at the foot of the cross see this has been god's original goal throughout the whole of scriptures he has been since the beginning since our rejection of him as we read about in the earliest passages since this whole idea that uh, that us human beings made in his image decide to do things our own way and ever since he has been pursuing us wanting more than anything to welcome and form a people who would choose him And that he could then learn, that he could then love and lead as we learn from him and what life is all about. So wise, not weak, but wise is the person who identifies with Jesus and his cross and says to God, I belong to you. I want to be part of that new people formed by the cross, unique on this planet, people whose eyes are fixed on him. And that we let the reality that flows from that cross be the defining truth of our lives. That's what a church is when you stop and think about it. A family of people who, in hearing the message of the cross, have come to that cross and just keep returning to it. The brutal beauty of it. The deep sacrifice and truth and grace contained in that sacrifice. That we come to it, we keep returning to it and we just can't stay away. That's what a church is, friends. Brothers and sisters under the cross. Remember what we read last week, that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, to those who are still doing life as we used to do it, all all on our own, right, on our own terms, in our own ways, we've all been there. To the world, though, that cross is something they, they walk right past. It's foolishness to the world, we read. But to those of us who are being saved and rescued by its truth, it is the very power of God. Amen. Wrapped up and contained in the cross is the most powerful message, the most impacting object lesson that has ever been shared. And it goes like this. The creator of us became one of us and then suffered and died at depths beyond any of us so that he could restore a relationship with us. All that is said to us in the cross. Christians are simply those who've heard and then responded to what's being said in that message. When Christ went to the cross, his aim was to call a great band of believers after him. Again, we, we touched on it last week. Jesus at one point says that when I'm lifted up from the earth, meaning when I'm crucified on that cross, above the ground, there hanging suspended between heaven and earth. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me that he knew that at that moment, his cross and him on it would be a signpost alerting anyone who wants to pay attention of the way to God. He wanted to draw a brand new band of believers, a new people to follow him. A few weeks ago, we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2 that the the two single most uh, divisive ethnic groups in Jesus' day and in the days of the early church were Jews and Gentiles, right? They, they totally rejected each other. It was the cleanest and easiest way to define anyone, whether you were one or the other. And the church was revolutionary in ways that we may not fully appreciate. And it's bringing together of those two groups. It was unheard of that that would happen. And we read in Ephesians 2 that Paul says that that's thanks to the cross, that Jesus died on the cross to make, as he puts it, the two people one. Isn't that good? Or we live in a world today that divides us by two and 22, right? I mean, there are plenty of ways to divide and categorize and slice and dice us as people. But the church at the foot of the cross is all about taking all of those groups and becoming one. Amen? People at the foot of the cross paying attention to the Son of God and His grace and sacrifice. For us, a new people who are His very own a people who walk the way of the cross and not the ways of the world, who reject that kind of categorization and that division for the beauty, for the beauty of unity that can only be found at the cross. This is the first way, and we're going to see more than one way here this morning that the cross reminds me it's not about me. It's simply not. And in this point, we're reminded that the cross, that there is a, at the at the cross, there is a community of people. That, yes, Jesus died for me individually, but in that acceptance, in my acceptance of that gift, he plants me in a family. It's never just about me. It's always about us. And then in us, we realize it's also about bringing the message of the cross to the whole world. Amen? This leads us to our next reason why Jesus chose to bear the cross. Jesus bore the cross to form a new people who live for him that we could live for him and not ourselves, that we could finally escape ourselves. We underestimate or maybe bypass just what good news it is that I no longer am stuck just living for myself. I don't know about you, but if I'm the Lord of my life, my life becomes a small and boring place pretty quickly. That if I define success or purpose in life by simply the fulfillment of my own appetites and ambitions, that gets hollow real fast. That finally, in the cross and all that it represents, there is this opportunity being offered to me to no longer just live for myself, but that there's been a greater love and a deeper truth and a more fantastic, amazing, truly amazing grace extended to me. And now I can devote my life to that. Man, I get to escape just living life for myself. It's a stubborn trap, the cross lets me escape that trap. Here's how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Man, that's sheer poetry. I no longer have to live for myself. I get to live for him who died for me and rose again. This is such a fundamental aspect of our faith as Christians. Jesus shows us in the cross that he is completely worthy to be the Lord of our lives. No love for us is deeper than his. No concern for us stretches farther than his. No one's counsel to us is wiser than his. The smartest and healthiest thing any of us could ever do is to begin learning to live for him and not ourselves. Amen? not ourselves, to believe in him and not merely ourselves. This world's mantra is believe in yourself. And we know where they're trying to come from there. Healthy self-esteem is a perfectly good thing to have. But friends, if 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 I'm all I got to believe in, it's pretty disappointing in the end. I don't have to just believe in myself. There's more. I get to believe in him. I get to live for him. Think of these words that we see here at the end. Him who died and was raised again. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that there is someone who died for me? Think about how that should redefine my life and yours. If I begin to realize that there is someone out there who died for me, then all of my petty concerns or disagreements or conflicts, or you name it, or, or my own sense of what I deserve or what's right for me or, or what I think uh, I should be pursuing, all that gets redefined by this idea that someone gave their life for me. Imagine that. We could think about it in the terms of, of another human being, maybe someone that you even know, if they, if they did in some way gave their life so that you could keep living, How that would end up defining how we live our days, right? How we treat other people, how we endure trials, on and on and on. It would affect so many things. And the seed truth just right there in the center of the gospel is that it's true. It really did happen. Someone died for me. And more than that, rose again. If this is true, and friends it is, it changes everything. puts everything in a new light. As these words sink deeply into our souls, we become transformed to our core. What used to matter fades into the background. And a whole new way of seeing the world comes to light. And again, we're reminded it's not about me. The cross reminds me now in a different way that it isn't about me, that I now get to live for him, not just myself hurt me or ridicule or misunderstand me. I'll count it all joy that I may be treated as Jesus was. The cross exemplifies that for us. I may make a lot of money or a little bit. Either way, I'm going to obey God and store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where no thief can break in and steal. Thanks to the one who's on the cross who taught me that, that there's more to life. Sin may entice me with its promise of pleasure, but now I'm feasting on higher joys thanks to the cross. I may be perfectly healthy or deathly ill. Either way, I'm not long for this world. I learned that from the cross. I've become a foreigner here and a citizen of heaven, so I'll do all the good I can in the short time that I have thanks again to the cross. Amen? Jesus bore the cross to form a new people who live for him and follow his example. That example is one of suffering and humble obedience. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a moment. Peter says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. Peter is writing to Christians who are having a difficult time in this world. And he's reminding them that their Lord did too. And that he set an example of what suffering can look like. So no servant, as Jesus once put it, is above his or her master. Is that true? And so Peter is reminding these Christians, keep doing good. And if you suffer for it, that's okay. Jesus knew how to suffer And it's an example that he set for us. He didn't bypass or sidestep that idea in all of his might, in all of his glory, in all of his deity. He did not sidestep suffering, suffering to a point that we can barely comprehend when you think about the cross. He didn't sidestep any of that. And so any suffering that comes into our life, we have a savior who understands. So many of us may want to avoid suffering, by all means available. It almost seems to be the definition of success or the aim and ethic of our world. Just try to avoid suffering. Stay as comfortable and convenient as possible. We convince ourselves that we can outwit or outrun the hard places in life. And that if they come to us, maybe we were weak or did something wrong. They do this, we do this, because we know maybe at moments how ill-equipped we feel emotionally, mentally, spiritually to face such difficult times, but Jesus Jesus was never ill-equipped, not ever, and He equips us to follow in His steps, even if it means suffering. You see, ours is a suffering Savior, familiar with pain, well acquainted with grief and difficulty. Through Him and His suffering, we can see our own, and we can gain the perspective we need to not only endure it, but to embrace it, As our teacher and our purifier, I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews, fix your eyes on him who endured such opposition that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is there anyone here today who, if you were honest, feels a little weary? Losing heart can be an easier rather than harder thing to do. Me too. And in those moments, what I don't need to do necessarily is look in the mirror. My source of strength will not be to look to me, but I am remembering what the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him who endured that kind of opposition. He's talking about the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's authoring and perfecting your faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people that you, why? That you will not grow weary lose heart. That's where we fix our eyes. That's where we draw our strength and our inspiration when we're weary and we feel like we're losing heart. Turn to Jesus. Fix your eyes on his cross and be reminded that you're not alone in your suffering. Far from it. And that there can be a purpose to it. Again, we realize it's not about me. Let's say that out loud together. It's not about me. Suffering comes in all kinds of forms for sure. At the very least, it might mean patience when we're in a situation or or with a person that demands our patience. It can mean inconvenience at the very least, right? Inconvenience in all kinds of ways. We live in a society that works hard to eradicate all inconveniences, but sometimes we need to embrace those. It certainly must include Getting out of our comfort zone, right? It's very easy for any of us to stay in our comfort zone in any number of ways, right? We 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 do what feels best and comfortable, and and we we stay secure. But we know that when you look at at least this is what I found when I. When I look at the cross, when I consider what Jesus has done for me, it inevitably starts to draw me out of my comfort zone into my learning and growing zone, right? I'm going to do something new. Chances are he's going to end up asking me and calling me to do something uncomfortable or inconvenient or stretching for me. A couple weeks ago or or more, I I said something in a sermon that I've gotten a lot of feedback on. Uh, I, I kind of pointed to the camera for a minute and said, I see you on the couch. Right, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It, you know, enjoying our online services is a perfectly legitimate thing to do, and there can be plenty of good reasons to do that. But let's all face it: we've been through just one heck of a couple of years, and it's wrung us some of us out. And uh, our old minimum has now become our maximum. What used to be something we would do only in a pinch, or if we couldn't make it to church, maybe we'd go online, has now become maybe the most we can do. But we can do more. And I know, and we can be more. And that's all I ever want for any of us is to grow and do and be more in Christ. And I can't help but think, and I found it to be true in my own life. Every time I consider the cross, I keep being drawn to grow beyond my comfort zone, to to move what is my maximum to something new, right? I'm inspired by what I see there. And I want to live into that. Not up to it as in substandard I'm trying to reach. I want to live into it by keeping my eyes fixed on Him. I want to love when it hurts. I want to tell the truth when it's risky. I want to serve when it's inconvenient. I want to give because it's right and good, even especially when it's sacrificial and doesn't come easily. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't, we don't look for suffering, but we also don't avoid it, right? Instead, we know we're called to it and that a life of sacrifice and service will inevitably include it And when we embrace that, it strengthens and teaches us the all-necessary lesson of humility. Let's take this one click deeper here as we consider what Jesus is teaching us in this third point on the cross. Philippians chapter 2 says, In your relationships with one another, oh, now he's getting personal, right? Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right now I'm talking about this idea that that sometimes suffering means crucifying your own need to retaliate on others who are doing you wrong or to rejoice in their troubles. But instead, remember what it means to extend grace from that cross. Jesus prayed those words, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In that small prayer, is all the truth that we all ever almost ever need to hear. The most powerful idea that, human, that can land on a human's ears is the idea that we can forgive those who are undeserving and then realize those undeserving people are us. Real, real cross-bearing comes down to things like this in our relationships. Have you ever had someone in your life make things hard for you? and then you hear about them having their own hard time, and then how you feel in that moment. This happened with Tamara and I not too long ago. A few weeks ago, we were having a conversation. We have people in our own stories that have given us a hard time in our lives. And we were talking and uh, uh, learning some things and kind of sharing some news. And when someone who's given you a hard time is having their own hard time, and then you learn about that. The ugliness in your own heart can really come out. Just how much you might relish or enjoy that news. Am I the only one? Tamara and I were chatting and we were relishing. And the ugliness in our own hearts was suddenly just evident. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just feel like the Holy Spirit is just convicting you and you just kind of stop in your tracks? And you're like, what? What is going on? What is happening? And we were moved to tears, both of us. We were just kind of like, man, what is going on? What is go-? you know, that's not the love that we're called to share. That's not the people that we're called to be. It's certainly not the people we want to be. But clearly right now, it's exactly the people we are. And we've been praying that the Lord would help us with that. We've confessed that to the Lord because, again, it's not about me. It's just not. And it's not about you either. We're called to love and pray for our enemies even when it hurts. Amen? Jesus bore the cross to form a new people who live for him and who follow his example. In other words, we belong to him. We believe in him and we become like him. Now, we said when we began that life is defined by where we stand with respect to the cross of Jesus. And everyone in our world today stands somewhere in Rembrandt's scene. It's everyone in this world and everyone in this room. Are we off to one side keeping a safe distance and maybe just discussing with ourselves the intellectual plausibilities or the philosophical impact of such a turn of events? What does this all really mean? And we stroke our chins and we consider how smart we are. Or are we nearer and are we gripped by the anguish and the amazement that comes from this scene and we take it all in and we're overwhelmed by it all. Perhaps moved to tears. Or maybe we're among those who are completely without feeling like these soldiers on their horses right next to the cross duty bound to do what needs to be done but you know what I'm only going to believe what you can prove with what we can prove with our senses and I'll just be ready to move on when things calm down or maybe you used to be just like that but now you truly see for the first time who and what life is all about like what seems to be this soldier On his knees, or maybe you've been ignoring the cross the whole time you've been walking around and ignoring it, well versed in the ways of the world and distracted by your own goals and desires, walking away and conversing nonchalantly. Or are we ready to surrender completely and remove all space, every gap between us and the cross, ready to let that grace cover us, willing to let his identity consume us. As we sang earlier, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. He calls us from that cross, but only you, only I can answer. What it looks like for you, I would never venture to try to guess what your yes will entail to Jesus. That's between you and him. He's got ideas for you. He's got lots of ideas for you. All good. I don't have to fill in those blanks. He's far wiser than I. It's got ideas for me, too. Will I trust him in that? Let's take what we're learning here to the table this morning. If you grabbed your communion on the way in, I'd ask you to go ahead and get it in your hands as we keep thinking about what we're learning here today. Jesus knew how to choose a symbol. He did it in the cross, and he does it in the bread In In fact, more than once, Jesus referred to the cross in reference to following him long before he ever gave his life on one. In Luke chapter 9, for instance, we read these words of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. When we realize that he said this long before he ever went to a cross, obviously, it's intriguing. He uses an absolutely shocking image to his initial hearers. Familiar to them, but maybe a little harder for us to fully appreciate today. The image was that of a person carrying on their back the lumber that would then be used to kill them when they arrived at the place of execution. It was an absolutely brutal and ugly way to die. In fact, when I was um, studying for this series, the word crucifixion was not even meant to be said in polite company. You wouldn't say it out loud. At most, you might whisper it. It was that brutal, that ugly, and that terrible that no one really wanted to ever speak of it. But what others would only whisper, Jesus makes central to his message. Why is that? Because he knows that what I suffer from is too much me and not enough him. When I take up the cross, what I'm saying is, I need to die that he might live. I will accept what he did for me in his death that I may live his life. Less of me, more of him. And so as we take the bread this morning, as we take this bread, let's remember, I had two pieces in mine, got a bonus. As we take this bread this morning, let's remember that he said it's his broken body. It represents what he did for us on that cross, and he said that he did it for us. So let's take and eat and remember him. And he said the cup would represent the blood that he spilled on that cross. The blood that he shed for us, he said, it would be uh, sealing a brand new promise between humanity and God. A promise of grace that comes by faith through the sacrifice of that cross. And he says, every time we drink it, we should remember him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of what we've learned here today. That we've been reminded that you formed us as a brand new people, shaped by your cross, that we could live for you and not ourselves that we could leave behind the small life that's defined only by our small selves, and that instead we can live a vast and grand life defined by you in all of your goodness and greatness. Lord, we want to follow your example. We want to follow it in the way we serve and in the way we give and in the way we love. In all of our relationships, Lord, let us have the mind that you had as you gave your life, as you said, Father, forgive, as you told us to take up our cross. Lord, thank you that you're with us. We could never do this without you, but we're not without you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.